Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in to the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. We're going to jump right in today, Joe Resinello. Because we have a guest on who's a friend of the show, Steve Auth, okay? Um, we've had Steve on before. Our audience knows who he is. Uh, but Steve is going into the breach because he's got a new uh, the, his book that he wrote that's out from Sophia Institute Press, The Missionary of Wall Street. Joe Resinello, I love it. From managing money to saving souls on the streets of New York, this is going to be a great conversation. Um, quick bio on Steve, because we want to leave time for the conversation. Steve Auth serves as Chief Investment Officer, overseeing all of Federated Hermes' equity and asset allocation products globally, and brings more than 35 years of investment experience to his position. He leads a team of more than 125 portfolio managers, analysts, traders, who supervise Federated Hermes Domestic and International Equity and Asset Allocation Investment Products. Steve's a frequent contributor on Bloomberg TV, CNBC, Fox Business, um, on programs like The Open, Mornings with Maria, The Exchange and Closing Bell. He was featured in Barron's uh, December 2010 and August 2014 issues and is frequently quoted in the financial press. He is also a member of Rendon Christie Movement and sits on the National Board of the Lumen Institute, which he helped found in New York City. With his wife, Evelyn, Steve has led the New York City Street Mission for 14 years. Steve and Evelyn are involved in a number of other apostolic activities, including their Friday night spiritual spiritual tours of the uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art called Man's Search for God. His upcoming book, Pilgrimage to the Museum, is coming from Sophia in July. Uh, or, or ha Steve, is that book out already? It is. It's uh, hot on the presses. The Met Bookstore is having trouble keeping it stocked, I'm told. This is, this is a beautiful thing. We love the fact yeah. that they're having a problem keeping it in stock. Well, they need to order more, is what I think. <laughs> uh, his previous publications include The Missionary of Wall Street, which is what we're <laughs> going to be discussing today, and The Ten Years' War. Uh, so, Steve Auth, welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe, brother. Thank you, Joe and Joe. <laughs> All right. We'll start with a prayer, as always, Steve, because uh, God knows we all need prayers. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us, amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. As Joe P. said, Steve was on the show. We love Steve um, for a number of reasons. One, 
Uh, he's a good Catholic, too. He's from Newark, New Jersey, which means he knows what an Italian hot dog is. Does everyone know exactly. what an Italian hot dog is? Not and many people do. If but you he don't does. know what an Italian hot dog is, you need to find out, okay? Yes, you go to Dickie D's on Bloomfield Avenue, uh, and he knows that. But what I wanted to talk about, Steve, I think, because we talked the last time when we had Jan talking about the your book, Pilgrimage to the Museum, Um Obviously, you know, you work in financial services, but now you're on a corner in uh, Soho at night soliciting people and asking them if they've gone to confession. I absolutely love it. I love it. Um, how'd you get there briefly? We talked about it the last time, but I think it'll set the stage for the conversation. Uh, yeah, well, I got there because uh, the priest down there, uh, Monsignor Sacano at the time, asked uh, some members of Regnum Christi to do this idea of a street mission. The parish had been kind of being hollowed out. The old Italian, uh, you know, parish uh, was sort of fading away, and it, you know that area has become very yuppified, and um, folks weren't coming to church. And so he reached out and he asked us if we could help. And famously, uh, as the missionary of Wall Street starts, uh, my wife calls me, it's 2008, it's the midst of a, another financial crisis, I seem to find, they find their way to me, um, and uh, she says, we're going to go and do this mission, and I said, well, you're going to go do the mission, I'm not doing that, there's no way I'm going to do this, doesn't make any sense, uh, you know, there's no one that's left that's Catholic in New York, uh, I'm not doing it, it's going to be a disaster, uh, I refuse to do it. And of course, two weeks later, there I was. And um, it does sound, every, every time I describe this mission to people, I, they think I'm crazy because it does sound as crazy as I thought it sounded. And one of the reasons, and one of the storylines of the missionary of Wall Street, which I think some readers will see, I'm not big on, on um, when I write, uh, pointing out storylines so much, I let, let them kind of develop, but there's a storyline there um, at the service. The storyline is about the thousands of people that we brought back to church. I mean, we the mission, the Wall Street mission down there is we talked, we think around three million people. Wow, um, over fourteen years, and roughly fifteen to twenty thousand uh, have come back to the sacrament of confession for the first time, almost in their lives, and. A lot of those people had a transformative experience. So in, in some ways, the book, well, in an obvious way, the book is about that. But the book is also about the power of a mission to transform the missionaries, and um, which I think is really powerful. And one of the things that I love about it, um, you know, it starts out, well, it starts out on this dark alley, misty night in Chinatown with a missionary unidentified, although eventually I think people figure out it's me, but um, having interaction with a, a guy on a drug, on a drug run, ex-con, packing a gun. And um, somehow or other, the missionary gets the guy to st stand for a, a minute and say a decade of the rosary together. So it's a kind of interesting start to the book. But right after that, there's a flashback. And the beginning, as I said, the missionary refusing to do it. And then at the end of the book, as the arc of the book 
moves on and these missionaries have had a chance to see the Lord working through them in changing people's lives, the missionaries are transformed by the experience. And, and at the end of the book, you have this cold, uh, ruthless, uh, you know, Wall Street guy um, standing on a street corner it's 6.45 on Holy Thursday, which means all the priests have left the confessionals because they've got a vest for the one mass of the day, uh, the last, you know, the mass of the Last Supper. It's starting to rain. Um, all the missionaries have been sent in. The signs have been taken down. And um, he hears a voice in his head uh, to stay on the corner. And at this point in the story, after everything that's happened, he doesn't even hesitate. I mean, it, the most senseless um, request, really, if you think about it, um, completely irrational. And without hesitation, this missionary stands on the corner. And two minutes later, something happens that changes someone's life forever. And, um, you know, that, that's what that's what the missionary Wall Street's really about. It's the power of mission to transform others and through that to transform ourselves and become closer to God, more faithful, you know, more willing. Absolutely. To that's incredible. Steve Auth joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. That's absolutely incredible. Um, you know, the, the, the idea, I mean, you're, you're 3 million people. I think scripture. I think I think it's I think it's Saint James that says if you if you could bring one brother back, okay, it covers a multitude of years. Three million people that you've encountered. Yeah. And, and but I, go ahead. Go ahead, Steve. I, I was gonna say. I mean, you know, there's a whole chapter in the Missionary Wall Street called Planting Seeds. So I'll I'll take credit for us planting seeds on in three million sets of soils, some very rocky and some full of thorns and a few fertile. Um, so we don't really know about those seeds planted, but it, it's it's more about, I think, I mean, yeah, we plant a lot of seeds. I kind of focus in on the 20,000 or so. I mean, we don't have a clicker, but, you know, rough math based on, you know, night after night of doing this, we think somewhere between 15 and 20,000 we've brought back um, for a life-changing experience. And we're pretty confident about those folks. And then, the, the, you know, the rest of New York, probably most New Yorkers have run into us at some point. They may not even remember. And it may be some missionary 10 years from now that finally hooks them in. It is amazing to me how many folks we've run into, Joe, who turned us down initially or blew us off or maybe took a rosary and kept running. And three years later, they show back up. And they'll say something like, gee, you know, you guys gave me a rosary three years ago, and I kind of blew you off. But I've been praying with it, and I really feel like I want to come back to the church. So we don't know, you know. Uh, you don't know what kind of seeds. I, we had uh, last Friday night, we were doing the mission. Um, actually, at St. Patrick's Cathedral, because... Uh, Monsignor Salvo and Cardinal uh, Father Salvo and Cardinal Dolan asked us to do it up there. 
as well. So we had, um, it was the Feast of Padre Pio, the great confessor. So it was a good reason. You, know, you need to kind of anchor reason to be out and about, kind of explain what you're doing out here. Mm -hmm. um, and we had missionaries scattered all over the cathedral from two o'clock in the afternoon uh, to nine o'clock at night. Um, you know, I left the office, the markets were not doing well, but Fortunately, we, we were sort of positioned for that. So there's not much more I could do at that point. So, okay, well, this might be a better thing to do with the afternoon. And um, it was amazing, Joe, the number of, I, I, it, the hit rate in, in the cathedral is actually extremely high. I mean, relative to, in Soho, we run lately, I, I'm embarrassed to tell you, there are nights in Soho where it's 60 to one. I mean, it used to be typically 30 or 40 to one that would stop and talk to us. Um, but, you know, um, a lot of flow. But in the cathedral, usually around 10 to one, even maybe better than that. So very fruitful. Um, and one of the interactions with, was a young woman from Sweden um, looked very Swedish, if you know what I mean. You know, just... Um, very northern European features and and um, hair color, et cetera. And I, um, but we we stop everybody. We, you know, we we don't really care what they look like, frankly, because we we've been always surprised by who might be interested in talking to us. In any case, this one was talking to me, and um, she was very interested and I'm talking about the possibility to go to confession. And at that point, she says, well, I need to tell you something. She goes, I'm actually Muslim. And of course, this has happened to us many times before, but it's just an example of what would happen next. And I said to her, well, Irene, um, that doesn't mean you can't talk to one of our priests. I'm making up her name, by the way, because mm -hmm. we don't reveal the names of people, but um, we always get their name. But it's really important for a missionary to share a name with someone. It, it, it turns a kind of transaction into an encounter. And it becomes very personal. So anyway, um, I say, you know, Irene, you can, um, you can talk to one of our priests. She says, really? I've always wanted to hear the voice of a priest in a setting like that. And I, I said, well, you can, or, you know, you need, please make sure you tell him that you're not Catholic because he can't give you absolution, but he can give you a blessing and, and maybe give you a little help. And uh, well, that's what he did. I, I just bring that up as an example of a seed planet, Joe. Like, I don't know where that's headed. No, I, I hear you. And, and, and obviously very, very touched. Yeah, I, I mean, I look at it this way. I mean, when I came back after living a life of debauchery for 20 years and and, and got my head on straight well, by the grace of God, um, you know, right away, Steve, you want to change the world. You know what I mean? You're like, I'm going to evangelize everyone. I'm going to be St. Paul. You know, you read the letters of St. Paul. I'm going to be like that guy. Yeah, no, that's not the way it works. Yeah. Planting seeds. God converts. The Holy Spirit converts. What you did for that woman you're not going to know till you're in heaven, Steve, and God reveals all the fruit of, 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 of what you did. Let's keep the conversation going. Joe Rosinello.
Steve, I want to talk about something you said earlier. It struck me, and I think we can blow it out a little bit. You said, like, in the book, you talked about, like, this cold Wall Street guy who's on a corner on Holy Thursday. I have a hard time uh, believing that's you. But with that said, I also work on Wall Street for 24 years. Um, I know that guy. I work with them, <laughs> as you know, you know, the deal, you know. Yeah. Um, isn't it funny? how God calls those people and they become the soldiers. Like, like I find that we talk to tons of people, Steve. I mean, that's kind of what we do. And I, I look at that even like me and Joe, like there are people that I went to college with. I mean, I wasn't an ax murderer, but I wasn't doing this. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. You know, and people would say, get lost. That is not Joe Resinello. Or no way is that Joe Pasillo. Or there's probably guys earlier in your career on Wall Street or at Princeton or at Harvard that would be like, that's not Steve. Like if you yeah. ran into one of these guys at St. Patrick's coming from the theater or something, they're like, honey, let's go look at the, you know, the cathedral. And you're like, did you go to confession? They're like, Steve, yeah. what are you doing here? You know, so, I mean, isn't that who God calls? And I'll be honest with you, they're the ones. It's the John the Baptists. They turn into John the Baptist, and they're like unstoppable forces. Do you think that's that's accurate? Uh, I think God, God calls a lot of people. I mean, I have great admiration for some of the great saints who it's not obvious this reading their biographies that they ever committed a sin, although we all do, you know, but like a St. Teresa Avila or someone like that. Um, and um, I think he calls folks, probably a lot of folks like that. I actually think um, he's calling all of us. Though. And I do think he calls some of us that have particularly difficult backgrounds because of that. Um, I feel very much that, um, I mean, it took me a long time to figure this out, frankly, but I've started to figure it out that I think he called me for a reason. I think the fact that I work on Wall Street, the fact that, you know, I have a somewhat broken past, you could say, you know, was I ever cold and ruthless? Probably not, but I, I committed my share of sins and certainly was not Catholic in my youth in the way I would understand a Catholic to be now. Um, and I think that um, for a lot of folks, that helps me relate to them in a way that, you know, a more perfect vessel might not be able to. And I I do think the Lord uses broken vessels, one, because it's easier for people to, to relate to them, and two, um, I think they realize they're broken vessels, and so it doesn't go to their heads. <laughs> I mean, I'll buy that. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with that. that. Right? I mean, it's like, well, clearly, you know, <laughs> we're not talking to St. Stephen here, and, uh, you know, I think that's important because you know, this pilgrimage to museum uh, that we talked about last time, and I, I'm giving a, a couple of talks tomorrow about, um, you know, the very first work of art in, in this thing, and people might at one level go, well, he started in ancient Egypt, I guess that makes sense, you know, history of Western art, 
which is true. Uh, but at a deeper level, he's starting there because in a search for God, and you go to ancient Egypt and you see men trying to make themselves God in their seeking the eternal, right? They build these great burial palaces for themselves to become gods. You, you see one of the, you know, the primary um, obstacles to all of us to finding God to this day, not just for the ancient Egypts, and it's, it's pride. We want to be God. Um, and he's God, we're not. And um, I think humility to me is one of the real things you need to have to advance in the spiritual life. And some are just born with it and others need to learn it the hard way. But, you know, I think broken vessels have a certain amount of humility. I think St. Paul had enormous humility because he knows the bad stuff he did, you know? I think it's, I was always moved when I, when I started to take the faith seriously, like many people, St. Paul was the guy, you know, like he, because if you know anything about his background, you say, you can imagine the people that are seeing him now as a, a, a Christian follower of Jesus that that guy really No, they're like, and, and that was, and, and that was people's reaction. I want to ask you a question, Steve. I was a, Un and in, at an unfortunate span in my life for about nine years, I was a retail stockbroker, a, a cold calling stockbroker. All right. So I, I, I know the industry. Joe's in the industry. Um, it's about risk. No, your job is about risk, managing risk, but yet making investments. You have to put money to work, but you don't just go with your gut. You actually have to do an analysis. Not so much with evangelization. Evangelization is, you mentioned, uh, the virtue of humility. Let's talk about trust. You don't calculate risk when you're doing what you're doing because obviously you're in a risky position. Wall Street has become woke just like everybody else. They don't want to hear about the Catholic faith. They don't want to hear about social teaching in the Catholic church and all of it, okay? But you're not really calculating risk. You're, th you're, you're going out into the deep. In other words, you've gone out into the deep and you're casting your net out there. Talk about the difference between or talk about the necessity of that trust in the Lord that when it comes to evangelization, don't worry about the risk. Jesus has you. Or, or am I wrong in that? You tell me. Uh, no, I think you're right, Jay. Uh, you, you have, um, you know, answering the call, taking a risk, if you will. You know, a Wall Street manager is not a risk avoider. He's a kind of risk calculator. Um, yeah, it could be that I approach the faith slightly differently, but even, you know, in doing a mission, um, we do some, some math. The, the thing is, the math is different, too, right? The math is compelling. Uh, I once had an interviewer, Bill Bennett, um, asked, I think it was Bill, yeah, he asked me, he said, Steve, you know, I had my guys going through, you have some numbers in this book of yours, um, and, uh, you know, they've kind of, they're different spots in the book. We've pieced them together. And, um, you know, just doing the math here, it seems like, you know, every 3 million people you talk to and 200,000 of them were Catholics and 20,000 or 15,000, you got back to confession. So, because I, it seems to me, there's like a point. 0.5% chance that any given encounter is going to lead to something important. It seems like just really 
low odds for a Wall Street guy. And, you know, I said, well, Bill, um, I make it up on volume. And he says, well, how does that work? I says, well, uh, I don't know, 15,000. I, I only know we got him back to a life-changing confession. I really don't know if what happened after that. Only the Lord does. But let me assert one of them made it to happen that wouldn't have, possibly. So one times eternity is eternity. It's infinity. I, I got volume on myself. Yeah, I do think that for um, for missionaries all over the place, they could be rational Wall Street people or what. But I think ultimately that's one of the reasons they don't answer the phone. I mean, there's a lot of reasons they don't answer the phone when God calls. Um, I think because I I kind of did them all. Um, the the primary one is you assume it's the wrong number. You know, he he would call someone holy not a broken vessel. It must be a mistake. Mm. And then it's like, well, that's a pretty big ask. I'm busy. Um, you know, you know of him and you know, like, yes, one thing he's going to ask something more. This is the beginning of him. It's going to get too big. Just say no and avoid it. There's all different reasons. Um, but by the way, as I always say to folks, um, I want to ask you a question. Hey, can you think of an instant where the Lord called you to something and you reluctantly said yes? How did it go? Have you ever regretted doing something you were asked to do by Jesus? And on the other hand, can you think of an instance where he asked you to do something and you didn't do it? How did that work out? And it's like, it's over town. I mean, it's it's really, um, you know, it's always the case. So I do think if people step back and thought about the idea about the math, which I would say is a kind of Wall Street way to think about things, Joe, um, that might cause them to answer the phone. I always believe that each of us well, I think it's each of us called to get more than one person, but let's assume for the moment that each of us is called to simply get one more person into heaven. And to do that, you have to, you know, answer the call and talk to a lot of people. Isn't that worth it? I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you put a, um, a value on that? I mean, we're all trying to create a legacy. I want to ask me someone like, what would you like your legacy to be, Steve? You've written all these books, blah, 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 leadership on what? I got my, my legacy. I, I would, I would love if, and when I get to the gates of heaven, standing next to St. Peter is one soul that I helped the Lord save. Yeah, Steve Auk joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. I think about that all the time. I say, okay, like um, we've had on Father Imbarato on the show. He says, when I when I get to in front of Jesus, he's going to say, what did you do? And he's going to say, me a couple, me a couple. Not enough, Lord, not enough. And this is a holy man. This is a man who gets out there and does all, all sorts of things to bring souls to the Lord. I, I, like I said to you earlier in the conversation, Steve, you know, I'm not trying to change the world. I, and Joe's not trying to change the world. But as you said, the math is very simple. Every 
individual is infinitely valuable in the eyes of God. Well, that means the value of one soul has an infinite value. Now, if the Lord, like I said, then says, okay, that was good, Steve. Now you're going to have to go a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And, and then that's what we're called to do. Then that'll be for the Lord to do. But I look at it this way. I look for the opportunities to try to spread the faith in my own circle, whether it be family members, whether it be new people I meet, people I've known, people, friends for years. I'll tell you a quick story, and then we're going to go to a break. Uh, my best friend, I had my big confession, okay, back about, I'm going to say about 13 years ago. That was my adult confession. Um, I was able, not through any sort of pressure, but my best friend, I brought him up to see Father Glenn Sedano with the Fr Franciscan Fathers in the Renewal, okay? And he yeah. had his adult confession. And what he said in there is his business between him and God and Father Glenn, okay? But that's an example of those things that we could be doing. And the only reason my friend did that is because he asked me because he saw the radical change in my life from what he knew me to be back in the day to a married man with a foster son and all the things that, that we're called to do. Let's say, I just wanted to say that as a, a quick anecdote, but we're going to take a quick break. Steve Auth is uh, joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We love Steve because he, you know, he wrote the book, the missionary of wall street from managing money to saving souls on the streets in New York. That's available at Sophia Institute press. We encourage you all to go out there and read it because we're all called to be missionaries on one level or another. So uh, we're going to be right back with another segment with Steve on the Veritas Catholic radio network. 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Stick around. We'll be right back. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. We are way in the breach with The Missionary of Wall Street. Uh, Steve Auth, and that's the name of the book, The Missionary of Wall Street, From Managing Money to Saving Souls on the Streets in New York. That's out from Sophia Institute Press. Joe Resinello. Steve, one of the many things I love about New York is, you, you know, I've worked there many years. You could always go to Mass and confession. I can't tell you uh, how many times... I've, I've participated in, a, you know, go to, I'm a daily communicant, um, and, you know, Our Lady of Victory on Pine Street, a lot of Wall Street guys go there. I've gone to the Mother Seton Chapel by uh, Staten Island Ferry, all over downtown, midtown. It's one of the great things about New York. Um, and, you know, we're working, you know, in the financial services industry. At noon, you're like, I'm cutting out, I'm going to Mass, or why are you late? You know, you didn't get in at 7.15 or whatever. No, I went to mass uh, behind the, you know, behind the office. What do people think about what you do that you work with? I mean, because that's one thing. I mean, people have images of what Wall Street's like. I mean, they're not savages with blood dripping from their mouth. But, you know, but at the same time. They're not. You know, <laughs> yeah, that, well, I, I've met a few actually, <laughs> but but at the same time, it's not exactly like we're not holding hands singing "Kumbaya." Um, what do people say? Because it's it's one thing to say like you know, Joe, where's Joe? Joe just went to mass. You know, maybe someone will giggle, whatever. Um, but you're like on the corner, you know, talking about people. Did you go to confession? I mean, that takes it to another level. What do people at work say? Well, uh, you know, first thing I point out is like I, I obviously at work. Tell people they need to go to confession. Uh, we're, we're 
by definition, uh, you know, multi-talented, multi very diversified workplace. And I value that um, we're an investment manager, right? So people coming at things from different angles make for better decisions. So frankly, it's just good business, not to mention it's something else. But I, I'm giving a talk um, in a couple of weeks up in Connecticut to a bunch of young business people. And um, it's called Humility at the Highs, Confidence at the Lows, Integrity Always. And it's to answer that question. Because people assume, oh, if you're successful on Wall Street, yeah, you must be one of these ruthless, um, you know, rip your eyeballs out kind of people. And that's what makes you successful on Wall Street. And I think there are plenty of examples. I mean, Wolf of Wall Street being the most obvious of folks that in the short term that did work. But over the long term, um, it patently doesn't work, actually. It doesn't. And I think most people that have been successful on Wall Street over a long career follow some version of the servant leadership model that really emerged out of Christianity. So, you know, my answer to the question is, oh, uh, sorry, but actually my faith-based values um, have actually made me a better leader on Wall Street, a more successful. Prudence, integrity, humility, self-mastery, servant leadership, love, uh, all these things actually um, make you a more successful leader. It's not antithetical. Now, does that mean that, you know, everyone in Federate has, you know, walks around with rosary beads? No. I mean, as I said, we're, we have folks from every religious persuasion, and by definition, that's the way we work, and it, it, it kind of works for us. But we all have a common culture of respect and, dig and the dignity of each individual. And, um, you know, the fastest way to get yourself kicked out of the door is, is, is kind of, um, you know, treating people disrespectfully or unlovingly. And I think that's sort of our culture. So I would say that my Christian values, and I, I think I became a better leader when I kind of got called to a deeper conversion. I became more patient, more humble um, than I was before. And, uh, you know, you'd have to interview my staff to figure out if I'm making it all up or not. But <laughs> well, I think that's why I think that's one of the biggest problems that, 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 that we have in America is that like and, and this is our criticism of the let's say, for argument's sake, the the Chamber of Commerce conservative right um, is that um, well, well, business, it's almost like the Michael Corleone attitude. Business is business. Well, no, business also, business is a human activity. All human activity, okay, is governed by the laws of God, the moral law, the natural law. You can't exempt yourself from that, okay? So as you said, you could run billions of dollars, okay, as a, as a fund manager, okay, uh, managing assets, okay, and do it in a very moral and ethical way. Okay, and still make money, by the way. Let's let's throw that out there. Okay, we do want a return on the investment and still make money. It's a it's such a, a misconception that um, you know it's it's all about 
you know, it's all about the bottom line. It's all about the bottom line. Government can intrude. Uh, free markets, free markets, and you could do whatever you want. Kind of blow that up a little bit, Steve, because Joe and I don't agree with that at all. And we're very conservative in our in our economic views. All right. We are free marketeers. Yeah. But even for, but the free market, just like all of the human activities and institutions, they have limits, moral limits. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's. Um, are you playing for the long run or the short run? But if if you're playing for the long run, doing things the right way, um, always works better. I agree with you 100%. I, I mean, I've also, also found in my career on Wall Street, people want to work with good guys. Like if you're known for being a good guy, like I'll be truthfully at this point in my life, I'm 52 years old. I don't care how smart you are. If you're painting the, you know what, get lost. I don't want to deal with you. Like, like I can't, like I rather work with someone who's going to be like, let's all get this done. You're a good person. Let's make it happen. If you're going to be that guy, uh, be that guy somewhere else. <laughs> like I don't, I don't want to deal with you because life's short, and it's just you know. But I, I have found being a good guy, people are willing to go the extra yard for you. It's helped me in my career. Yeah, I mean, you know, when the leader loves his staff, not in a, I get it, in an agape love way, a kind of um, self-sacrificing way. One might say Christian love, if you will. Uh, people will do anything for you. Oh, I agree with you 100%. I agree yeah. with you 100%. Yeah, you want to be a look. What's the difference between you as the missionary of Wall Street and let's say, and I'm not bashing him but just from a movie, but from uh, the wolf of Wall Street, okay? Is that, who do you, who do you trust? Who, who would, Honestly, in your heart, as your leader, who are you going to trust? Let's say if you work for Steve Auth and, and his investment firm, or you work for Stratton Oakmont. By the way, quick aside, the first, very first interview I went for back in 1995 uh, to become a stockbroker was at Stratton Oakmont because I was living in Queens at the time, and they were on Long Island. I ended up not going yeah. there, but I didn't go to a place that was much better than that, but we'll leave that there. But it's a matter of trust. I want to know that I, I, you know, in my heart, I trust the person running the firm. The person that I work for, that they, you know, there's stability there, and and a, a whole sort, all sorts of things. Steve Auth is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. In case you're just joining us, and we're talking about the missionary of Wall Street. By the way, Steve, they should turn that. You should turn your book into a movie. Martin Scorsese made The Wolf of Wall Street. It's all about sex, drugs, rock and roll, and money. Okay, but the more interesting story, vastly more interesting story, is the missionary of Wall Street, and that's what we're talking about here today. Joe Rasinello, I'm going to hand it over to you. Steve, we pride ourselves on doing research for these interviews, and we came across an interview you did in Dublin, and you talked about with this gentleman staying within the safety of the walls, and you stressed this. You said, but Jesus doesn't want us to stay within the safety of the walls. I agree with that. I completely agree with that. I have found in my walk with the Lord, and it's been 30 years, three decades, 22 to 52, um, that I've taken my faith serious. When I make myself vulnerable, obviously in, in you know, I'm not going to go jump into traffic or jump off a cliff, but when I make myself vulnerable, like you do, approaching somebody saying, have you gone to confession? 
it pays dividends because God honors that. Talk about that. And then I want to follow up with a story you told this gentleman in Ireland, because it talks about vulnerability and it pressed the heck out of me. I'm going to be honest with you about you in Mexico with your eyes. I want you to tell that story after you talk about vulnerability, if you don't mind, because you put yourself out there. And to be honest with you, it shows your faith. And, and you know, like, and, and when, and God honors that. Yeah. I mean, um, if you don't, so what was the first, the, the thing about, about being like outside the walls, get out of the, yeah, walls. okay. Well, the, the whole thing about the walls, like there's a, um, you know, one of the themes that runs inside the missionary wall street, again, probably have to connect dots to find it, but it's, it's conscious that it's there. Um, is this imagery of this wall around Old St. Patrick's Cathedral. It was built to actually protect uh, the Irish Catholics that were immigrants at that time from the locals who weren't too fond of Irish Catholics. And the reason it's interesting is that um, it became a kind of image of the mission on the very first day which, by the way, things went about as I had expected uh, on that first day. I had uh, a middle-aged woman from the neighborhood call me a pedophile. Uh, I, one of the missionaries got handed a, a bag of dog dung. Um, another team, I, I put a team on a, a, a corner, New Yorkers on the Prince and Mott, and because uh, I kind of, there's sort of the field general in me saw that as high ground that we needed to hold, you know, and um, I sent them over there. And in about 10 minutes, they came by and they said, Mr. Roth, um, there's a street, there's a vendor there, a hat vendor. And he said that he bought, he's paid for this space and he wants us to get off his corner. And I said, look, this is New York City. Nobody buys a street corner. He has the space next to the corner. Move 12 inches to your left and hold the ground. Love it. That's a New York thing. Take a walk. I'm standing <laughs> on the corner. <laughs> and uh, interesting other subtext, by the way, I, I'm digressing a little bit, but it is, that's another storyline that just drifts in and out of the Missionary Wall Street, the story of this hat vendor who goes from telling the missionaries get off the corner, who's forced to listen to almost every one of these conversations that go on and gradually gets converted. You see him at one point buying coffees for the missionaries and, and he starts talking to him and his wife says, he can't wait for you guys to come back when you come in. And eventually near the end of the book, closes his hat stand and gives away all 150 hats to the, the teenage missionaries that we had that day. So, but um, yeah, the image of the walls and, and the missionary goes inside the wall at one point on the first day and it's like, all the missionaries are in there. And I'm like, what are you guys doing in here? And they go, well, Mr. Roth, it's like crazy out there. <laughs> I go, well, that's great, except they're out there. That's where we got to go. And I think today's church is is like the church with the walls today, right? We all need, actually, the safety that we get inside those walls, the, the gospel groups that we have, the mass, the support that we get within that wall. But the key point is, and by the way, the culture wants us inside the wall, too. they rather, like you guys, not in the public square, please. 
Um, but where we need to be, where the souls that the Lord needs us to help him bring back, they're not inside the wall. They're outside the wall. Right. So that's where we got to go. I mean, you mentioned that Dublin interview. It, it was kind of an act of grace. I've been trying to get a mission started out there for a while. Because um, after all, the Irish, you know, were the missionaries that say the church, and now they need our help, I believe. And Dublin is an ideal place to do a mission. Entire population are former Catholics. Catholic church every three blocks. High pedestrian flow. These are the three ingredients you need to have a successful mission. And um, that interview was um, just happened by accident. A long story behind it. You haven't have heard it, but, and the devil tried to stop me, I'm sure. I know, I, I, I don't have time to tell you the whole story about how something happened that should have stopped me from having that interview. And suddenly I find myself now talking to Dublin about this mission. And um, so that was, that was really a beautiful thing. Another example of how the Lord works. Um, Talk about your eye. You talked about that because I, I don't want to digress too much, but it's a great story. When you went to Mexico, you you, you got hurt and you didn't leave. <laughs> You're just like, I'm staying. And uh, I think it's great, to be honest with you, because like it shows like that God honored your your sacrifice and, and it all worked out just real quick, if you don't mind. Yeah. OK, Joe, I mean, uh, you know, the other thing I, I was impressed by that interviewer uh, and I asked him later, I said, where did you find that out? I'm like James Lipton, by the way. You ever watch that insane thing? I'm turned into him. I'm like, Steve, do you remember? It's not public information, <laughs> and it's um, it's not out there. But um, yeah, it was one of the missions in Mexico, and uh, I would tell the story in the context of what I call in the zone. And um, I wish I'll tell you I was always in the zone, but I do think when I'm working with the Lord and you really feel his presence, that's when our faith is deepest. And um, yeah, in the zone, it was on, a, it was Holy Week. We are in a dusty little village in Mexico. Uh, we had been told that the last set of missionaries the year before had not made it to every house. This is the exact opposite of a New York City situation. <laughs> like every house wanted to have the missionaries visit them. And they felt bad, some of them, you know? And so the parish priest who handles, I don't know, 80 parishes or something, gets there once a year, asked us, could you try to make sure? And we kind of were dedicated as a group. If it killed us, we we're going to get to every house. And then about halfway through the week, I start going blind in my left eye. And um, by Holy Thursday, completely black in my left eye. And I, I was thinking, well, this is kind of an interesting situation. Um, if I say anything, there's no way we're going to get to every house because it's going to disrupt everything. People are going to be in a panic. Um, I've either got some sort of disease I've caught and I'm about to lose my right eye. And maybe the last thing the Lord wants me to do with these eyes is to stand here reading the gospel with these you know, very poor people in this little village, you know, um, reading it in Spanish, which, by the way, the Spanish language um, for spiritual things is really, really personal. Um, so it itself is moving, just having the opportunity to do that. But, um, or maybe he's going to fix it. I, 
I, I was just so close to him at that point, Joe. Um, it never occurred to me. And, and I have an image, I have a photo, I keep it in my closet here at home. I'm working from home today. I've got a plane I got to catch. Um, and, you know, it's an image of the last house mid afternoon on Saturday. Now, by now, you know, this has gone on for a few days. And it's, I'm on, on my knees, and the rest of the missionaries are gathered around in this extended family around us. And it's a photo of us at the thing. And I ask people, and I, I show them the photo, I go, one of the people in this photo just went blind about three days ago. Can you tell me which one it is? And the only person they've never guessed is me, because I'm standing there with this grin on that looks like it's coming from within, you know, and it's it's so spectacularly happy. Um, and you know, that's someone that's when you're in the zone. I mean, I wish I could tell you I'm in that zone every day. I'm not, but that's why I keep it on my closet as I start the day. I said, Steve, that's that's the zone. Get in the zone. We all need to we all need to get into the zone a, a little bit more. And this is that's why this conversation is great. Steve Auth joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Rosanello. Steve's book is The Missionary of Wall Street, From Managing Money to Saving Souls on the Streets of New York. That's out at Sophia Press. I have a quick question, Steve, um, or or a, a, a comment and, and for you to elaborate on. Um, I find, both in my own personal experience and what I notice, is that there's there, there's many reasons why that that um, inhibit people from coming into the church or back to the church. My experience is um, number one, and this is speaking personally, but I've heard this from others too. Is I don't want to change my life. If I go back to the church, I'm going to have to change my life, and I'm not ready to do that. Okay, I'm being honest. I did not want to go back to the Catholic Church because I liked my debaucherous life. I mean, I'm not going to lie about that. Okay, um, and the Lord straightened me out. The other one is Steve. I think this is more important. People feel they've done something that's unforgivable, and you write in the book about unforgivable sins. Those things that we're not able that we limit God's mercy, and then and I want you to elaborate on that. That we can't do that. Jesus died on the, did not die on the cross for some of our sins, okay? We could bring anything to him. I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, we have a chapter in the missionary called Unforgivable, and um, because I think it's the single biggest obstacle to getting people back. And yeah, I mean, we've all done something in our lives that we think is unforgivable. Um, you know, this whole abortion debate is an example of that. Um, and there's so many women I've met on the streets who either have told me or I just sort of know that that's the issue um, that they're struggling with. That, you know, years ago, maybe they they did that and, and they just feel like killing their own child. It's unforgivable. Or with guys, it's, you know, some... Um, you know, misstep with another woman or, you know, something like that. But it it's it's always something. And, um, you know, what I tell folks is, look, uh, I, I keep a prayer card of the prodigal son with me. Um, 
there's a kind of crisscross between these two books I wrote, The Pilgrimage Museum and The Mission of Wall Street. I often use prayers uh, formulated around paintings that I've used from the museum for the tour, and that's in that book, to try to touch people. And, you know, it's, it's the young man uh, coming back. He didn't commit one unforgivable sin. He, he committed the whole left side of the menu. Right. And and he thinks he's unforgivable, but he's through sheer starvation is kind of forced back on his knees and he's there and um, he's being embraced by by the father. You know, this is the painting by Rembrandt that a lot of people know that image. And, you know, I used to tell people I show them that, you know, is there some sin? I mean, do you think that your your sin is bigger than his mercy it's very prideful really right he he can he's always there to forgive you You just have to he wants you back he's a father a loving father and he just wants you to come back to him for goodness sakes the the, the father in that image runs to the kid before he even has a chance to to spout out his pathetic confession <laughs> and and you know runs to him and and instantly forgives him. That's that's the image that people need to have in their heads here. The Lord is waiting for all of us to come home. And it's very prideful to think there's something that any of us could have done that he's not going to forgive. Steve, let's leave that question there because we only have time probably for one more here at the front line with Joe and Joe with Steve Auth. Joe, I'm going to hand it to you for the last question. Steve, I want to switch gears, and it's only uh, appropriate that we end with something your wife said, because um, this impressed me, actually, um, greatly. You know, clearly, you're a successful guy. You know, listen, you know, you've been gifted, went to Princeton, Harvard, and your wife told you something that I think is so insightful. She said, my Lord for us is, my prayer for us, Lord, is please disrupt us. You see, Right there lies the door to life for everyone. No one wants to be disrupted, Steve. Yeah. But in disruptions, many times is when God kind of peeks around the corner and just says, hey, I'm a real guy. <laughs> Why don't you come take a walk with me? Talk about that. It's huge. Steve, we have about three minutes just to give you a heads up. Okay. So, you know, that little prayer she said just before um, I had a near fatal health event in 2002 that led to this deep conversion experience through the sacrament of confession that I had. And I always say to her, sweetie, you know, next time you say that prayer, could you say, please disrupt me or something? You <laughs> <laughs> have to include me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Sometimes, you know, we're in a nice pattern. You said it earlier, Joe uh, Pasillo, uh, you know, like, I don't want to be disrupted. I, I want to go on with my debauched life or whatever we're, we're all leading. And um, the, path, the path to salvation um, is the cross, actually. Oh, you're yeah. right. And there's no avoiding it. Yeah. And to be honest with you, to embrace it is hard. It's hard. And I'll tell you this, it's only through prayer and the sacraments that we can do it. That's that's my experience. The most important part of our prayer lives is getting to Mass. Um, I had the same experience Joe had today. I, 
scrambling all day, very busy, a lot going on, obviously. 12 o'clock mass, churches around the corner. And I'm, you know, devil on my left shoulder is going, Steve, you know, you really don't have time today. And I said, you know what? I need this. I'm going. Yeah. Steve, uh, so what are you working on next? What, uh, what do you have on the table? Well, right now we're doing a lot on this, this pilgrimage book, which is the latest one, is really touching people because, you know, like pilgrimages affect people. You see all sorts of devout Catholics on their knees, the seekers looking for God, and then, you know, even the folks that are trying to run from God but are interested in art or interested in a nice walk. And this idea of a pilgrimage is really catching on um, and it's given me the platform to talk to a lot of people about faith and spirituality and finding God through art and really pursuing him. And so that's kind of right now the big focus. Okay. Uh, beyond that, yeah. we'll see. What's that, Steve? Beyond that, we'll see. We'll see. We'll yeah, see. The, uh, you know, we're still doing the mission. So anyone who's interested, just let give me a call. We'll be doing another couple of missions in Advent. Uh, coming up in a couple of months. Is there a, is there a means by which folks could get a hold of you, like a website or? Yeah, there's a website. The, the easy one to remember is just the missionaryofwallstreet.com. I mean, there's several, but that they're all linked together. But that one is probably easy to remember given the topic today. And it'll keep you posted on the missions that we're doing. We had a whole bunch of missionaries at the cathedral last Friday, and it was an incredible event for them and for the people we met. We can only pray, Steve, that people would, would show as much interest in the missionary of Wall Street as they did in the wolf of Wall Street. I think we, <laughs> we, we'd all be much better off. Um, Steve Roth, you're welcome on the show anytime, brother. You're a friend of the show. We love talking to you. And you're making it happen. Joe and I just don't pay lip service when we talk about going into the breach. And, you know, we try to do that in our own way. That's the way the Lord has got us. That's the position he has us in now. And we try to be faithful to that. Okay, as best we could, and then see what the Lord has in store after that. You're making it happen, you know, doing your missionary work, and we're we're very appreciative. We would encourage anybody, Connecticut, New York, Long Island, anybody who can hear our voice, missionaryofwallstreet.com, and uh, dip your toe in the water and and get out there and and start evangelizing. So, Steve, thank you again for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. All right. And thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith in the New York City metropolitan area. Download the app, the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app, so that you could have access to all of our station's content, not just the front line with Joe and Joe. And please, wherever you see Joe and I on social media, uh, YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Rumble that just went public through a SPAC, um, which is holding up pretty well. It's got about a $3 billion market cap. So we're fans of Rumble. Not the stock. That's not investment advice. Let's be clear. Um, <laughs> and uh, But we are. We do like the company because they're actually an open platform. So wherever you see Joe and I, like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff if you would. And remember that our conversation is your conversation. And that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.